Hello and welcome to another episode of Clark Hill's Credit Eco to Go, Curbside Thought Leadership for Financial Services. My name is Joanne Needleman, and I am a partner at Clark Hill, as well as a member of the firm's banking and financial services practice group. As we continue to highlight exceptional women in the financial services space, uh, in honor of Women's History Month, <laughs> I'm today by Alma Angadi, partner at Guidehouse Consulting, where she serves um, in, in their financial services segment and is their global legislative and regulatory risk leader. Alma is a recognized expert in compliance and investigations with an emphasis on anti-money, anti-money laundering, AML, and combating the financing of terrorism. I didn't know that had an acronym, CFT. It does. Not and very economic. <laughs> and economic sanctions compliance. Uh, Alma has over 10 years of consulting experience and has counseled her clients in a variety of projects, managed gap analysis, compliance program reviews, risk assessments, remediation efforts, investigations, and historical transaction reviews. Her clients include large global uh, financial institutions, global payments institutions, mid-sized banks, broker-dealers, and fintech and digital asset companies, hedge funds, casinos, and multinational corporations. She leads the firm's cryptocurrency, digital assets, and fintech products, which we're going to talk about today. Alma, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and welcome to Women's History Month, which I didn't even know existed until a couple of days ago. And thank you for having me. I'm delighted. It's a great way to spend a Friday afternoon. Yes. Uh, well, I, I appreciate that. So as I said in your intro, um, there's a lot that you and I can talk about, but uh, we only have a, you know about 30 minutes. <laughs> but I really wanted to talk about cryptocurrency because it's a word that gets thrown, a lot, thrown around a lot. Uh, and candidly, only a few people like yourself really understand what it is and how, what implications there are for financial services. Um, so with that in mind, let's kind of do a cryptocurrency 101 and let's talk about what it is, who's using it and what are the risks? So it, it's a good to start with the technology and what what is the cryptocurrency blockchain technology? Blockchain is a a ledger, distributed ledger that is kept in a, in a block of encryption. And every time that ledger changes, there's another block of encryption with the previous ledger and the new entry. Mm -hmm. So while it changes, it is immutable. The list is immutable within each block. Mm -hmm. Blockchain isn't always cryptocurrency. Blockchains Technology can be used for lots of things, and there are two kinds. There's permissioned, which means, jo- Joanne, I give you permission to look into my blockchain. We are the only ones that can see this. And there's also permissionless, which is actually public. Anyone can look at the blockchain. Most cryptocurrencies are public blockchains that represent value. So, In theory, they can be used to pay for things or as investments. And the information on that distributed ledger tells you who owns it, not by name, but by 
by code. Wallet address by code. Right. And so that's that's what a blockchain is. It's just an actual chain of encrypted blocks of information. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, that, that gets us into the kind of the how and the why. And I guess with the, the next question with crypto is the what. So is it actually, you know, you hear the term Bitcoin, right? You hear it all the time. Is that actually a coin that, you know, I can take to the arcade? You know, I think of Bitcoin. I think when we were little, remember we used to go to the arcades on the board. Yes, and you get those fake coins. Yeah, from Del- you know, I think you're from Delaware. Or something. You know, you used to go to the, and, you know, you, instead of getting, you put your dollar into the, into the machine, and rather than getting quarters back, you get these fake, you know, things. Is that cryptocurrency? Um Sort of conceptually it is. (laughs) There is no there there. And in fact, um, one of the regulators and one of the state regulators said it was so sad after they had a big cryptocurrency fraud, people would call and ask him where their coins were. Anywhere. They are on your computer or on your thumb drive or on your phone. They're only stored digitally. Interesting. The where. Uh, and they are not, they are only computer code, right? And that's very hard to think about. They aren't hard to think about computer code. Right. So you think about, you know, when I want to, and it's hard to think about, but also as you and I know right now, financial services is all about web-based transactions. So I go on to my bank account and I see a dollar amount and that's the amount I have on my bank account and say it's a hundred dollars. I put, you know, please, it's a little bit more than that, but say it's a hundred dollars <laughs> and I want to go and I want to buy $50 worth of groceries. Well, I give them my debit card and that $50 comes out. I never touch it. I never, the $50 never comes into my hand. So in some ways, conceptually, it is the same as the currencies that we, we, we deal with today. But there's a valuation mechanism, and I'm not sure how that valuation mechanism. So so here's the other way that it's different. Mm -hmm. So when you go to the grocery store with your debit card, you had to load money, uh, if it's a stored access card, onto your debit card, or it links to a bank account. Correct. Pay. So there has to be a behind-the-scenes transaction between the grocery store's bank and your bank to sell that transaction. Right. instantaneous right with um bitcoin or other kinds of actual digital currencies or if they digitize the u.s dollar there are we can talk about that later but there are projects to digitize uh, central bank currencies going on all over the world you don't have to wait for the bank behind the scenes to settle those accounts that is instantaneous your value has gone from your debit card to the grocery stores Mm-hmm. Right, that that moment. Right, interesting. And so, so how, you avoid settlement risk. Right, right. But going back to, I guess, to my original question, is the valuation? How is the valuation based? I mean, is it based on the stock market? Is it based on arm's length transaction between you and I? I mean, I think that's really the the sixty four dollar question here. <laughs> exactly, and since it is not a thing with any substance, it has the value that the people 
buying and selling it say it has. So it really has no inherent value. Um, and one of the problems with Bitcoin, especially, there are, there are thousands of co- different coins. Right. Um, that's the one most people have heard about. It's the one I think that's most used in, in many ways. It's got the value that people says it does. So it is very volatile. Right. So up quickly, it can go down quickly because it's not really tied to anything. Um, it's very, it's like a very speculative investment. Now, there are cryptocurrencies that are not volatile like that because they are tied to actual currencies. You know how your money market, it it's a dollar a share for a money market? Right. There are they're called stable coins and they are tied to an actual bank account somewhere with physical fiat currency in them, either US dollars, euro, yen. And so those are more stable because they retain the value of the currency upon which they're based. Who's using currency and uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. I mean, are are everyday consumers using it to go buy groceries? Is it more of a business to business transaction that's going back and forth? So I think in some developing countries there where you don't have all the debit cards, all the ATMs, all the banks, you're starting to see consumer use of cryptocurrency to buy things. Mm -hmm. The U.S., in Europe, not so much. Now it's, although now recently you can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. I saw that he was. Has uh, announced that. So that's one thing. And there are a few. I think you can buy things on overstock.com with Bitcoin. And I think you can. Now some of the cryptocurrency exchanges allow you to load a debit card with your Bitcoin that you can use to pay for something at a store like you would any other debit card. But most part, it's still being treated almost as an alternative investment. People trade it, people hold it. There isn't an enormous use case for it yet at the consumer level. Now, Ripple, which is a different, another cryptocurrency that is more of a B2B uh, companies use it to manage their uh, foreign exchange risk. And that's a whole different kind. Okay. okay. All right. Well, thank you. I mean, I think that gives us a good foundation. I mean, we could spend hours and hours and talking about it, but I think that gives us a good foundation in which to dive into a couple other topics. So clearly it's risky. Clearly it's not fully understood. Um, so how are financial regulators looking at cryptocurrency and what you know, I'm sure it is an evolving analysis, but today, how are they looking at it and where do they see it going and what are going to be the guardrails around it? So for the most part, if you buy or sell cryptocurrency for other than your own account, other than yourself, you are, you have to register in most places in the US and federally as a money transmitter, as a money services business mm-hmm. like Union or MoneyGram, PayPal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, and then in most cases, you also have to get a state money transmitters license. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, other than that, 
it is often regulated by function. For example, if you are setting up a hedge fund that will invest in cryptocurrency, you will have to register possibly as a, an investment advisor with the SEC. If you are selling digitized securities, tokenized securities, you would have to register with FINRA as a broker dealer. So to that extent, it's being regulated by who you are and what you are doing with the cryptocurrency or blockchain-based digital asset. And I mean, there's obviously inherent risk. So how are these regulators looking at that risk and what do they see as, as I said before, what the guardrails should be? I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's risk in regular securities, but we all seem to have, you know, lay people can go on e-trade and if they wanted to make trades, they can make trades, whether that's a smart idea or not. But this is, this is really foreign. I mean, you can't Google this and figure out what to do. So what do regulators see see as the risk and, as I said, how to prevent it? So here, there are a couple of risks that are, um, there are a couple of risks that are sort of specific to this, right? It is pseudo-anonymous. So while that information is on the distributed ledger, on the blockchain, I don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. And a check, if I send you a wire from my bank account, that we've all been identified. The second, the reason that is more of a risk, it's like cash in that I don't need an intermediary to send it to you. I can't wire you $10,000 without a bank or going to Western Union and sending you a Western Union. But I can send you digitally $10,000 worth of Bitcoin from my computer to your computer with no regulated intermediary. So it can go around the world. It can be, and it's pseudo anonymous, right? If you don't know that's my computer and they don't know that's your computer, they don't know who made that transaction. The mitigant is they can see that transaction. So you can see that transaction on the blockchain. It's public. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you put GPS chips on $100 bills. So I might not see, I might not know who the drug dealer is, but I can see him getting that $100 bill, you know, in Meridian Hill Park at midnight on on a Saturday. So there are, there are risks and mitigants. Another one of the risks I think is that, um, there are a lot of blockchain-based tokens being issued that are frauds. That's one thing that the SEC has been focusing on. They're, they remind you a lot of penny stocks. <laughs> They're just right. speculative. Right. Uh, the SEC has also taken the position in a lot of cases that the cryptocurrencies themselves are securities, and they've brought cases in that area. Uh, so in general regulators are, I think, trying to not squelch the emerging technology, but to make sure it proceeds cautiously so that consumers are protected, users are protected, the financial system is protected. Now, the OCC has had some interesting pronouncements lately where they basically said that banks can use cryptocurrency for any of their permissible banking functions. 
Hmm. Uh, but then the, the previous acting director of the OCC was from Coinbase. So he had <laughs> knowledge and understanding of digital assets that, that I don't know if we'll, that, if that will continue. So, and we're starting to see in the press, um, banks starting to bank digital assets companies, giving them bank accounts. Bank of New York Mellon announced a couple of weeks ago that they're starting a digital asset custody business. So I think we're starting to see traditional financial institutions seeing where they fit into this digital asset ecosystem. Fidelity has a big digital assets brand, um, business. So I think it's going to be interesting because it is so new. Who's going to be the primary regulator? I mean, you have on the one hand, based on what you're talking, you have a, you know, certainly FINRA and FinCEN. I mean, there is certainly opportunity for, you know, a black market of this kind of stuff that can certainly fly under the radar. And then there's a legitimacy amongst financial institutions, whether they be depository or non-depository. And, you know, is it, the, is it going to be the FCC? Is it going to be the OCC? Is it prudential regulators? Is it the FDIC? Is it, I mean, um, I can see this getting confusing. And I'm wondering where you think this could, could there be a czar or one area where this would be, uh, they would lead the oversight? That is just a great question. And when you think how fragmented the U.S. financial regulatory system is, I don't think this is going to change. I think you'll have the disparate regulation. Um, the IRS has some regulatory authority. The, the um, CFTC considers yep. uh, digital assets commodities in a lot of Yep. So I think you will still see the same patchwork of uh, overlapping regulation that we have with 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 everything, everything else. Right. Yeah. Now the OCC has tried to have allow a fintech charter for all kinds of digital assets and payments companies to avoid having to be licensed in all 50 states. Right. States led by DFS in New York have challenged that in court. I think that's before the Second Circuit. So because they feel like they have an interest in protecting, you know, the users in their state, which is legitimate. But that made more sense when you had to put a bank on a corner. Right. Than something that's digital. Right. I think that's going to be an interesting topic because as, as you've seen, Alma, and you see this a lot, you know, the, the, the technology is outpacing the regulation and that's Absolutely. been a struggle for the last decade. And how do we, um, you know, it's a chicken and egg, which is going to come first and how you're going to, how are we going to manage this? And this is certainly, I mean, I think that they, to your point with quote FinTech, and that has a very broad terminology. Uh, I thought that the OCC's idea of having a, a some of a national charter was a good idea. I did too. Uh, and, but um, you know, a national cryptocurrency charter, you know, a central bank for cryptocurrency. I don't know, but it's it's 
it's it's exponentially growing. You know, five years ago, I didn't even know what it, what it was. And every day I see something in the news about it. And I know you were just on uh, CNBC talking about um, something along those lines. So it is ever evolving. And, and it'll be interesting to see what that regulatory uh, scheme is going to look like. Um, so let's look to the future a little bit. Um, as you said, you know, Tesla's going to start taking cryptocurrency. We'll see how long that lasts. But isn't it a matter of time where I'm going to buy a house with cryptocurrency? Isn't it, you know, or a mortgage? Or isn't it a matter of time where, in addition to my stocks, bonds, and 401ks, maybe I'm going to have some cryptocurrency investments? I mean, it, isn't that what the future holds? I think it does. I don't know that it's going to take over money as we know it, but it will be an easy way to avoid foreign exchange risk, to avoid settlement risk. Um, um, you've got a lot of the big payments companies starting to allow their customers to buy and sell cryptocurrency. They can't necessarily transfer it, uh, but they can buy and sell it um, e- either as an investment. Um, once, I think if, if Libra or I guess they're calling it DM now, which is Facebook's proposed cryptocurrency. Uh, Think of how many millions of users are on on Facebook. If you can use that currency in the Facebook marketplace, for example, that would be, that is a huge existing ecosystem for payments that's right there that you can use in a moment. Um, And I think they're pegging their, cryptocurrency now to the US dollar. So it would be more like a stable coin as I as I as I recall, though I'm not sure it's finalized yet. But so I think uh, again in places without developed financial services, it is a much more palatable way for people to hold value and pay for things. When you think of countries with huge inflation risk, you know, you think Bitcoin's volatile, think of some countries in the middle of huge inflationary spirals. Right. It'll be much safer for them to right. that on their cell phone. Right. It's it's truly fascinating, and I and I thank you for uh, coming onto the podcast and giving us our perspective. Uh, this conversation is so far from over. So no, I, I know it changes so every day. Far, truly, right, right? So far from over. So I, I hopefully, uh, you know, in the next couple of months or so, as things start to evolve, and especially, I think you know, it's going to be interesting to see how you know we have a new administration now in Washington. New, all new financial regulators, all new at, at every at every term, other than the FDIC. So it's going to be interesting to see how they how they look at this because, to your point, it's it's not going away and it's just it's growing exponentially. So, um, and it's starting to sort of merge with more traditional banking. Yes, got some of the cryptocurrencies issuing credit cards. Some of them offering in uh, interest on the Bitcoin they hold for you loan, there's lending. It's, it's all kind of merging. <laughs> it is. It's and an, ex, an exploding. Mm-hmm. So Alma, thank you so much uh, for sharing your insight on this. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, but before I let you go, uh, we do a couple, you know, quirky crypto-y things <laughs> at Credit Go to Go. And I, and, I'll, and I know you'll play along with me. Uh, first is I ask all my guests because boy, so I started this podcast in June. I would still be sitting at home, but here I am, thankfully. Um, 
So we've all had to pivot and do interesting things while we're at home. And so I do ask all my guests to share with our audience an experience you've had sheltering in place. Uh, no right answer. And I've heard some really funny, heartwarming stories. So I hope you have something you can share with us as well. So like many people who suddenly find themselves at home every day with a pet, <laughs> it, it's much different than when you come home from a day at the office. Right. So every day, my mixed breed lab something or other at 615 Joanne, he starts barking at me. He's very good all day. Like he's here sitting, laying right there. But at 6.15, it's like that bird in the Flintstones that like, right. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I'm doing, who I'm talking to, he won't let up. Oh God. Even though I often have to go back to it, it's, I've just accepted it as the natural end of my, or a break in my working day. There's just no, no way around it. That's so funny. That is so funny. It's like the old whistles in the factory. You know? Yes, time's up. Time's up. That's we've awesome. Been, we've been sitting here long enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, and finally, uh, again, I started this podcast um, because I wasn't traveling. You know, you were in the traveling circuit too for a while. We were never home. And how are we going to still communicate with, with the people that we know and the people in our industry. So that was one of the reasons that I started the podcast. The other was, you know, I saw, as did you, especially in cities like Washington and Philadelphia, you know, the pandemic took a real toll on a lot of people very, very quickly. And I wanted to use the podcast to highlight that in, in some respects. And, and my focus was food, which is hence the to-go theme. Um, and I wanted to highlight um organizations that were helping people in this time, especially when it came to food insecurities and hunger over time. And it's, again, it's been a year. We've expanded that to organizations that are helping anybody for any reason during the pandemic. And I'm hoping that you have an organization that you'd like to highlight uh, in your area or nationally uh, to share with our guests. I do. And it's um, an organization that I've been uh, involved with on some level or another for a very long time. It's called So Others Might Eat. And they uh, provide um, food and housing and addiction to homeless, the homeless in Washington. And when my daughters were in elementary school, this still, I'm such a sap, that every Wednesday they would bring an extra sandwich that wouldn't be delivered to homeless people. And one day I forgot to make it. And my five-year-old said, mom, you forgot my extra sandwich. So I put mine in the basket. And I just thought, oh, if I've taught them one thing, yes, that we have so much, we can share it. And so they do a lot for people who are struggling in so many ways and I, it's, and we, and also on Thanksgiving, my whole family would do a turkey trot to raise money for, so, for some others might eat for some. And this year it was canceled. So I, you know, it was a great way to start off Thanksgiving day to t- do a little 5k. I walked, I don't run. <laughs> so, so other people might have a nice Thanksgiving. So I feel like I'm making up for missing that. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. I think that's no. Thank you for having me. Was yeah. That it's a and that organization sounds wonderful, and we will certainly uh, uh, donate to them on your behalf, and I'm sure they will greatly appreciate it. And again, I I can't thank you enough for your time and your education and your insight. uh, So helpful for our listeners. Um, 
So I want to thank you and I want to thank all my loyal listeners uh, who are listening to Credit Eco to Go for tuning in and logging on. All episodes of Credit Eco to Go can be found on Buzzsprout, Buzzsprout and Spotify. Information on our podcast can also be found on my clarkhill.com bio page as well as on my LinkedIn page. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have ideas for future show topics, please email us at creditecotogo at clarkhill.com. Thank you, be well, and stay safe. This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient.